Thank you, Mel. Let's open our Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you have a, a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd pass that to the aisle, we would like to collect those and we will be praying for you. We're so glad that you're with us today and for the, the sharing of prayer needs, an important part of church life. Thank you for sharing those with us and we'll be faithful to pray for you. Colin Hansen and, um, and Jonathan Lehman have written a book encouraging believers to rediscover church. In fact, that's the, the title of the book. And we have 18 to 20 copies of it in the foyer. Maybe you're on the brink of that. Maybe you need a booster shot with regard to reminding, uh, being reminded of the importance of church life. Uh, but that's in the visitor section along with the little supplement on prayer and fasting. Would point you to that. You're free to take the book uh, if you'll read it. And I hope you will. It'll challenge you. So in their little book, their plea uh, is for Christians to consider the forces that have been at work, particularly over the last two years with the COVID-19 pandemic. And this has led to increased division and isolation. Hansen and Lehman write, resuming church attendance would be hard enough if our only problem were that a deadly disease kept us apart much longer than many expected. Debates over masks, vaccines, and much else divided church members trapped in their homes and glued to Facebook feeds. That'll bless you, won't it? Being glued to a Facebook feed. Christians like each other a lot. They liked each other a lot more before social media. Take away the unifying experience of weekly worship together under the same roof and the bonds of affection have frayed. I'm so thankful uh, for many things over the last two years. And while our attendance naturally has, has fallen a bit, I, I sense the bond of this uh, the bonds of this fellowship have been strong even through those challenges. Um, that we're not a church that fights over masks and these other things, but have sought to love one another and support one another through a very difficult time. And so I'm thankful for the support that has been given even under these difficult circumstances. Prior to COVID-19, um, commitment to church life had been waning in our culture Anyway, in fact, for the last 25 years, um, church membership has declined. Uh, Gallup came out with a poll recently uh, that said for the first time in uh, U.S. history, church membership is less than uh, 50% of the, the population. Now, I'm not the kind of pastor who wrings their hands on Gallup polls like that because I serve a Savior who said that um, the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. And sometimes in these religious surveys, they include um, those who, who don't embrace the gospel and religion in general. And so I'm not preaching today uh, like um, someone who's um, wanting to keep the doors open of a civic organization. I'm wanting to challenge us to prize what God says we're to prize, to love what he says we're to love, and that is the gathering of the body. I am thankful for live stream. I'm thankful for people we're able to reach out to who otherwise couldn't come, and it's provided a connection during this time. But live stream will never replace the gathering of the body. It'll never replace that. 
We're thankful for you guys tuning in, but if you can be here, you need to be here. If not, we understand. Um, but, uh, you know, this lunge towards um, secularism in the Western culture is a sign really of the church's weakness. We have an anemia in response to the present decline. I can understand an unbeliever questioning the value of church life uh, and in the end saying, no thanks. Um, but for the follower of Christ, we're called to unite with a local fellowship. This is a spiritual discipline uh, that should be a part of every believer. And we're, we're bound together by a commitment that we've made to the Lord Jesus Christ and to one another. And so when we look at the decline of the church, seeing your church family as a, a priority is an important commitment each of us needs to make in our own heart. Seeing your church family as a priority is an important step in the right direction. Again, Hanson and Lehman Wright. Many churches don't expect us to come back. In fact, there's a, a major move in the evangelical church where they're not even expecting people to come back. Uh, they're launching virtual churches and hiring virtual pastors. No need to wake up early on Sunday morning. No need to put on your pants. Keep your PJs on. They didn't say that, I said that. No need to search for a parking spot. No need to tune out other people's crying babies. No need to make small talk over bad coffee with a person whose politics disgusts you. No need to stifle a yawn through a long sermon. No need to taste the bread and the wine. Just become a virtual person. And so this morning we return to a theme that has guided our ministry for many years now. And that is that we are a body of believers under the tight cords of the new covenant in Christ. And membership matters to us. Simply put, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. And I'll make, try to make that case from scripture this morning. A Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. Living our lives together in person is essential to our witness in this world. So let's look at why we emphasize covenant church life. And we begin in the book of Acts. And we come to chapter 2. And um, the, in Acts 2, the, the church is gathered under the new covenant because that's exactly what's happening here in redemptive history. The book of Acts is a transitional period in the life of the church from old covenant promises to new covenant reality. And that is why you have some um, one-time events that are so memorable, like Pentecost. And so, Peter, at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came, just as promised. And they were wondering what this was all about. In fact, in verses um, 12 and following, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean as as uh, those gathered were speaking in tongues and those who had gathered could hear them of the mighty deeds of God, this really reversal of the Tower of Babel from Genesis 11, inaugurating the new covenant in Jesus Christ based upon his life, death, and work, his resurrection. And so verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mock, saying, they're all filled with new wine. And Peter pops up 
And he calls them to order and he says, hold on. What a, what a difference the Holy Spirit makes as we remember Peter's denials of Jesus and his basically saying, I'm going fishing and, uh, and to be restored by the Lord in John 21 and recommissioned to, to get back on mission. And so he waited in Jerusalem and uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 14 to 15, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. And then he preached. And what I would note about Peter's sermon was it was clear. It was simple. It was really responding to two questions. The one in verse 12, what does this mean? And then later he would expound on verse, the question asked in verse 37, what shall we do? If you read Acts 2, his sermon was biblical. He quoted Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2. He, he quoted Psalm 16. He quoted the, the most referred to Old Testament verse, Psalm 110, verse 1. It was Christ-centered. He led them to why... Um, Christ died. He said, God became a man, verse 22. God proved the authenticity of Jesus through the miracles and wonders and signs, verse 22. That Jesus was sacrificed according to the predetermined plan of God. He wasn't a martyr who had lost his way. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that God raised him from the dead. All apostolic preaching included not only the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's a living Savior who has gone to the right hand of God, verse 33, and that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, verse 36. What a sermon. You can read it in three minutes. Don't get any ideas. Because if you'll note in verse 40, it says, with many other words, they were admonished and he filled in the gaps. It was a spirit-filled message, and we see these believers empowered, and, and many responded, what shall we do? And Peter said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 37, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized in verse 38. And this baptism was in response to the forgiveness of sins that God would grant Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. I would say to you, beloved, be saved from this perverse generation. That's calling it what God, God says it is. And understanding that he's got a call on our life. And those who received the word, they were baptized. Well, that's kind of the introduction to the, the passage I'm wanting to look at here in Acts 2. Um, 42 through 47. Okay, now you have 3,000 believers gathered. What do you do? Many of them would lose their place because they were Jews and now they were followers of Jesus Christ and they would lose, it would sever family ties. It would no doubt lead to the loss of job. And so they came together in a way that was unique. And I want to note several things here 
that mark the gathering of the church. First is they receive teaching. 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did they have to say? We'll just review all that Jesus taught them and you have an idea of that. Biblical teaching was a priority. Charles Spurgeon wrote of the spiritual lethargy of his day, everywhere there's apathy, Spurgeon said. Nobody cares whether that which is preached is true or false. A sermon is a sermon, whatever the subject, only the shorter it is, the better. I fear that this sounds all too familiar in many church gatherings, that often the first thing that goes is the preaching. Just light messages that don't really require much. They, they were committed to fellowship, not only to receive teaching, but they were committed to fellowship. Fellowship was a priority. This word koinonia in the Greek means the sharing of life, the sharing together. The church is to be an oasis of grace of which we pray would be true of us. Grace and knowledge, sound doctrine, holy love, obedience, purity, and so forth. They were a church that practiced the one another's. There are over 30 of them in the New Testament. Loving one another, being devoted to one another, rejoicing with one another, being of the same mind with one another, accepting one another, admonishing one another, waiting for one another, caring for one another, being kind to one another, forgiving one another, being tenderhearted toward one another, encouraging, submitting, upholding, humbling ourselves all to one another. One could get exhausted doing all the one another's. And they should frame our attitude when we come together as a body. Do you ever think when you wake up in the morning, what, what are your thoughts when you think about coming to church? I think that is absolutely the determining factor as you come, whether you're going to receive or not. If you're thinking, I really, you know, I got so many things to do, I'm not really wanting to go, and I'm not wanting to talk politics over bad coffee with so-and-so, we disagree on so many things. You can, think of, you can begin to th think in a jaded way, rather than saying, Lord, this is another opportunity for me to go and serve. Who can I listen to today, Lord, in the gathering of the church? What burdens can I help bear today, Lord? Who can I pray for today? You think that would change a little bit? Maybe our attitude about coming? I think it would. And I think it's uh, exactly what we're called to do. Um, they observed communion together. They broke bread together, it says in verse 42. They offered prayers. They prayed together. They received doctrine, teaching. They fellowshiped together. They ministered to one another they received communion. They shared meals together. They prayed as a priority. And then they were released for ministry. So it says in verse seven, 7 that many were being added to their number day by day. Those being saved. May it be so with us. And look at opportunities on how to care for one another in this way. And to bring others along with us. So I was blessed this morning. Just in the testimony of... Uh, of, of a brother in my connect group who, um, you know, is ministering to neighbors and they've come and visited. And that, that's what needs to be happening throughout this church as we share the gospel with others. And the fruit of this was unbelievable. When we neglect these basic commitments of the Christian life, 
and church becomes rote, it's hard to pass on the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ when you're not excited about it. I'm not, this isn't a pep rally. This is, that's, not, that's not the purpose of that. It, the purpose is to challenge us that we need to be excited about ultimate things. And if we're not excited about the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and who we are in him, it's kind of hard to pass that down with any effectiveness when it doesn't move our soul. And what happens in time is you, the sign of a dead, lifeless church is a group of people come together, supposedly under the banner of the cross, and they don't know the scriptures, and they don't know how to witness, and spirit-filled prayer meetings are an anomaly to them, and they remain baffled by the whole concept of praise, And they give God the scraps of their time and their bank account and everything else. And that's Christianity to them. That's not Christianity. That's anemic. That falls way short of what God has called us to be. And so we're a new covenant body. And this new covenant creates... uh, Created the church in the book of Acts. And it guarantees that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're a part of a movement that will not fail. Oh yes, there will be local churches that die and pass off the scene. And some need to. I'm not to judge of that. But if you're not being faithful to the gospel, it becomes an unwitness. And so Christ created us to live together in covenant. And so a distinctive of First Baptist Church Gonzales is that we have embraced the covenant understanding of church life. What does that mean? Well, I put on the back of your insert uh, our church covenant. It's been read to every new member over the last 20 years. We refer to it often in the course of church life. It's not a, a billy club to beat members over the head with. It's a reminder of our commitment uh, to serve the Lord together in covenant, a covenant relationship that matters. This is something we need to understand more and more, and this is what we need to bring to the center of membership process, that it's a, it's a commitment. We need a reawakening of what it means to be a covenant people, and I believe that will go a long way in fulfilling the longings we have to see God move and for His church to be revived. There's a second scripture that I want to turn to, and it's Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. This wonderful letter of Hebrews, and we come to this practical application section, I use that word hesitantly, but um, he's really applying the, the force of what it means to be God's people in Jesus Christ. The, in, in, in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 10, he, he speaks of the danger of forsaking. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be in a church family where you're under the word, where you're under the care of the church. That's where God intends every one of us to be. And it's not a light relationship. It's something that requires our best effort and full concentration and and the best we can give to it. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Therefore, brothers... 
since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In other words, the, the veil in the temple has been torn in two. We are no longer under the restraints of the old covenant. We are under the blood of Jesus Christ, which is a new and living way that we can enter, enter into the very presence of God because of him. And then he goes on to apply this. He's our great high priest over the house of God, verse 21. Verse 22, let us draw near. Now notice 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider. Mark Dever refers to this as the lettuce patch in the Bible. Let us do these things. These are commands, aren't they? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. To who? To, to, to God and to one another. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 23, let us um, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. How do you do that? Not through a live stream. Not virtually. Oh, you might find something that's encouraging and you want to pass it on to friends online. But this kind of stimulating one another to love and good deeds, this is something that happens when we interact with one another. We start talking about what does it mean to live the Christian life? How am I going to honor Christ with such a difficult boss? I don't see how this needs ever going to be met. And we begin to talk about things that are challenging and things that are good. And it's amazing how you can hear and receive in the course of body life things that will change you, things that are God's word to you. And what you might think would be an incidental a conversation with a brother or sister, God brings light to it. Maybe an illustration in a sermon or a reference to a Bible verse that lodges in your mind. The Holy Spirit puts that there. And guides you and encourages you but notice verse 25 and following this admonition to stir up one another with to, for love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so with that being said I'm wanting to appeal uh, to you not to forsake the gathering of the saints. Not to forsake the gathering of the saints. God has always called his people to be together. And maybe there are so many forces in this world that would say, you know, my time could be spent so much better on Sunday. Bill Gates said that actually 25 years ago. And, and many follow in that footstep. As far as profitability goes or productivity goes, I could do a lot more on my Sunday mornings from 9 till noon than be here. Don't believe that lie. And again, I'm not speaking as one who's trying to keep the club going. I'm not preaching as one who's trying to keep us from a foreclosure. I'm, I'm preaching to you as a brother saying, this is God's call for us. This is proving what is excellent to, uh, to, the, to the Lord. To love what he loves and to commit your life to that.
In no way did God ever intend for believers to think that they could make it on their own without the fellowship and nurture and instruction and encouragement of a local body. You don't find a single Christian in the Bible that's doing it alone. They're all involved with a local assembly. I find it very compelling when I read of what God said to Israel under the Old Covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant, but it was written for our learning. And when he, when he spoke to Israel about their corporate gatherings, uh, it's pretty serious. Let me mention a few. The Sabbath. Therefore, Exodus 31 says, verse 14, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who pro- profanes it shall surely be put to death. <laughs> really? Yeah. Under the old covenant, the Sabbath was vital in God's commandments to Israel to be the, that they would be his distinctive people. What about the Day of Atonement? In Leviticus, on exactly the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire. You shall not do any work on this same day, for it's the Day of Atonement, this high and holy day where the priest goes in, sprinkles blood on the mercy seat to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. What about the Passover? Certainly God would lighten up on that. Numbers 9.13, but the man who is clean and is not on a journey and yet neglects to observe the Sabbath, that person shall then be cut off from his people and he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. So can you imagine an Israelite ever thinking You know, I'm not into the feasts. I'm not into that. I can serve God just as well in my own way. I mean, after all, it's about my relationship with God. I don't need the priests. I don't need the sacrifices. I worship God in my own way. Such a thought would be quickly confronted by what God has said. Notice the language for which for those who neglect the gathering of God's people, put to death, cut off from his people. Now, don't, please don't make the leap. Oh, he, this is what the pastor's teaching with regard to our new covenant relationship. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just wanting to emphasize the importance in God's mind of the corporate gathering of his people for ancient Israel. Some might say, well, that's the law. We're under grace. I'm, well, I'm not a Sabbatarian or a legalist But we can learn from the Old Testament standard that God did require his people to gather for worship, for fellowship, to remember God's faithful dealings, and to be sent out to honor him. Our culture understands the sin of forsaking. But see, we live in a time where people give to God, uh, people give to, to others what, people give to God what they would never give to others. Blemish sacrifices. I've mentioned before how enlightening it is to look at um, organizations, civic clubs, 
I was reading on the Rotary International website, Rotarians count on one another to contribute their time to weekly meetings, committee work, and service events. 100% attendance is urged and honored in Rotary. Try not, to, or try not only to attend the meetings, but also stay for the full program and give each speaker your complete attention. In another section it reads, if a member fails to attend as required, the member's membership shall be subject to termination. Sports understands the sin of forsaking. If your son's coach, you say to your son's coach, coach, we, we don't like practice and don't really want to be identified with the team in that way. Just keep us on the roster and we will show up when we feel like it. And by the way, we do expect him to start. All, all the all the areas of our culture, the business world, academia, sports, they understand the sin of forsaking. What we would never give to them, we freely give to God. What does that say about our commitment? And so I, I believe at the heart of this is much of the reason why the church in North America has no power. I believe it, it's at the heart of why people yawn at the gospel. The times are desperate, but God's people are not. I'm reminded of the word picture given by R.G. Lee as he referred to preaching to glassy-eyed congregations. And he said that when, you, when he would proclaim the suffering, crucified Savior to them, they acted as if you were talking about a dead dog on the side of the highway. It's a great grief to see such neglect. It's a, heart, it's a heartbreak to see such apathy and disregard for the things of God. It's a great sorrow to see the loss of enthusiasm for the Lord and for His work. The Scriptures are very bold about the spiritual dangers to believers who grow indifferent to the Lord and to His work and who depart from spiritual fellowship in the church. A Christian without a church is a Christian in serious trouble. Think of what you miss. Think of what you neglect. Think of what you forsake. Now, I want to just keep us from the ridiculous. If you have COVID, please stay home. You have a work situation that calls you away. You're called away to school. You're, called, you're deployed in the military. We will pray for you. And if you can, unite with a local body there, by all means, do that. So we're not talking about some legalistic requirement. We're talking about valuing what God has for us. And, and to honor the gathering of his people in this covenant relationship. Mark Dever has written clearly about the sanctity of church membership. Church membership is our public and corporate assent that a person is living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We cannot realistically give that for people uh, we don't see regularly. And so I think that that's one of the real dangers. Uh, early Baptists, anyway, saw church absenteeism, church neglect, this sin of forsaking that we see in Hebrews 10, 
Early Baptists saw that as one of the most sinister of sins. You know why? Because it served as a cloak for every other kind of sin. When you're neglecting the gathering of the church, are you in the word more? Are you being challenged to obedience more when you're not here? Are you able to unite in fulfilling the one another's in, as far as it concerns you with your part in this body? The answer is no. And so, let's value what God values. Let's, lo- let's love what He loves. Some years ago, we were really burdened about this subject and visited texts of Scripture like this. How can we have 1,400 people on our roll and we don't know where 1,000 of them are? How can that be right? That's not good for them. That's not good for the gospel. And that's not good for the witness of this church. And so, since 2008, we've removed about 1,200 people from our roll for non-attendance. Some of them, we... Just over the years, it piled up. We couldn't find them. Others have lived here and have been contacted. But how many times do we need to say to you, we miss you? How many? Before you start taking seriously what it means to make your calling and election sure by obedience in some form. So, no, that's not popular preaching. People don't want to hear about that. But I think it's at the heart of why people yawn at the gospel. And I think it's at the heart of why the church needs to be revived. We freely give to God what we would never give to a boss, what we would never give to a coach, what we would never give to a professor, what we would never give to anybody else. He'll understand. Yeah, he understands all right. He walks among his lampstand. He walks among us all the time. May he see just a greater love and devotion for him. I'm volcanic about this subject, by the way. I really, when I come to it, I just think it's at the heart of what it means to live a Christian life. We live in a culture that encourages you. Don't come, we'll plan for you virtually and just make it a a bad off of a TV production. That is not what the people of God are called to. It's how we show love for one another. It's how we engage in ministry. And it's why we need the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer as we come to the close of this service? I don't know how this message has hit you, but we're, we're a covenant body. That's a distinctive. We have a church covenant that I've put in your hands to remind you of our commitment to one another. as we declare our common faith, as we declare our commitment to each other and and this ministry that we share, as we commit to forgive one another and walk in reconciliation with one another, to support the work of this ministry, the advance of the gospel. And if God should lead us somewhere else, that we would unite with another church where we could Fulfill what it means to be a Christian united with with the body of Christ. And so we close with the gospel. We never graduate from it regardless of what we're talking about. It's a trustworthy statement worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners like you and like me.
His life, sinless. His death, substitutionary. His resurrection, proving and establishing the redemption He has purchased. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He's what this church is about. You can be a member and faithful in attendance and be lost. You can be a member and have appalling pride that is a disrepute to to Christ. So uh, salvation understood rightly is personal faith in Jesus followed by obedience in a local church by which you can grow and serve and love the Lord. So maybe God is stirring you this morning to get right with him. Maybe you're visiting with us and this message has been a challenge that I need to be a part of a local church and and that's important. And I, I want to pursue membership here. What does that look like? We'd be glad to help you with that. So Lord, we close this, uh, this time in the word, praying that it would do its work in us. Thank you for these admonitions, the word picture in Acts 2 of a healthy functioning church and a reminder that we're not to forsake what you've commanded us to do. So I pray you would lead us now in Jesus' name.